You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Quitter. God has established a clear structure for our marriage that, if followed and adhered to, will give us life-giving, sanctifying marriages. Hey, why don't you join me in a word of prayer this morning as we uh, just jump into today's topic. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the time that we get to spend in your word. We look forward to it. Uh, We honor it. We respect it. And God, I pray that you would speak to us today. As we cover a very challenging topic, I pray that our hearts would be open to you and to your word and what you have to teach us. God, we, we know that it is no accident that we are here today, but rather uh, everyone who is to be here is here intentionally. Uh, just meet us here. In Christ's name we pray. We all said, amen. amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, shake their hand. We call the person sitting next to you in church world your neighbor. So why don't you shake that person's hand, say, welcome, good morning, it's good to see you. Go ahead right now. All right, so we are in week three of this uh, marriage series that we've entitled Quitter. I've enjoyed it. It's just a kind of a quick jump in and jump out. And today is going to be challenging. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it, it's going to be challenging for a lot of reasons, but we're a church that really highly values scriptural integrity and biblical authority. We believe in the inerrancy of, wor- of God's word, and so we believe that we should be able to speak from God's word. Amen? Okay. We believe that we actually should take notes as well. We're a church that worships in spirit and, and in truth. We take these truths, we write them down, we go connect with our small group. I'll call it our Sea Life group. If you're not in one, you need to be in one. You're going to grow in relationship with each other, your relationship with Christ. Discipleship's going to happen. You're going to make some friends there. It's good times. But we also open up our notes and discuss them. And today will be no different. If you're taking notes right now, I'd like you to write down this term, which is going to be used throughout this morning. And it is this. Are you ready? Biblical womanhood. Biblical womanhood. Now, most times when you do a marriage series, we, we talk to the gentlemen. And, and yes, it, it pertains to the ladies as well, clearly. But it, it, it is few and far between the times that we will really kind of bring a sermon just very specifically geared towards women in biblical femininity and biblical womanhood. You say, why is that? I'll tell you why. Because I'm scared to. That's why. That's no joke. I, 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 and I really find it kind of interesting because I was reviewing my preaching calendar this last year. We've talked about everything from same-sex attraction. We've talked about the difficult, challenging passages of Christ where he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can't have any part of me. Challenging, where he says, unless you leave your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, hate all of them, you can't love me unless you pick up your cross. We even spent an entire month, over a month, Walking through this series called American Gospel, where we talked about prosperity gospel teaching and false gospel, and yet there is something about preaching, about biblical womanhood, that will make a pin, like you can hear a pin drop in a large auditorium, even with a bunch of people. There's just something to it. But I got to say, I think that there has never really truly been a time that it has been more important for us to talk about this. I really do. And even though there's some honest trepidation, knowing that we inherently kick against what God has created us to be and do, I think that scripture has a lot to say about biblical womanhood. And I think that it's important to talk about it. Now, I'm going to read through a couple passages of scripture, and then I'm going to give you my points, and then we're going to open those up, okay? Here's what you need to know. Uh, Number one, these passages of scripture, we don't like them. So let's just put that out there. 
and we're going to grow and increase increasingly we're going to increasingly grow in dislike as we go through these texts, okay? So I'm just letting you know. So we're going to start off not light, but challenging and move down its course. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 first. This is where we're going to start off. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Are you with me this morning? Yes? Are we good to go? Yes? All right, here we go. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and as himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Challenging. Let's jump over to 1 Peter chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, we read this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that, if even, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Pause real quick. What that is saying, what, what Peter is actually saying in this text is, your obedience, wives, is not first predicated on the obedience of your husbands. A lot of times we run into a situation where they'll do couples counseling in a Christian format, and the, and the wife will say, well, I'm not going to do what I need to do because he, I'm waiting on him. He needs to do it first. And I would say, yes, but also No. Your husband should be the picture of Jesus Christ to you. He should be leading. He should be going first. He should be surrendering and sacrificing first. But even if he doesn't, you are still called to be obedient. Christian wives, you are still called to do what is right. You are still called to be obedient because your obedience is not predicated on your husband's obedience. Amen? Amen? So you are still to be, and look what he says. He says that they are to be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your what? Respectful and pure conduct. There is something about a Christian wife who wins even the most lost husband over, not by words, but by works. And Peter is saying, that is how we do it. This is how we when I wonder how often women, we get into the situation, wives, where we are trying to continue to say the same things over and over and over, and maybe we're hoping that there will be some spiritual energy within our husbands. If we can just convince him enough, and Peter's saying, no, 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 don't. Don't do that. Be obedient and win him over without a word by your conduct. Then verse 3 says this, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning, look at now, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Titus chapter 2 then, to finish up this challenging round of passages, maybe one of the more challenging. Uh, Paul writing this to a young pastor named Titus. He's already written First and Second Timothy to a young pastor named Timothy. Now this is his writing to Titus. He says this in verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. All right, college moment real quick. Doctrine, what we believe. Christian doctrine, what Christians believe. So when Paul is telling Titus, teach sound doctrine, what he's really saying is teach very thorough, biblically accurate stuff that we can believe. And he is now going to give a picture of stuff we can believe, or maybe better stated, what Christians ought to believe. So what he's going to say after Titus, teach sound doctrine, is sound doctrine. Are you following me with that? Yeah? 
This is what he says. Sound doctrine being this, verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in their faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Look now. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. I had somebody first service say, did you notice that he said much wine? Okay, much wine. <laughs> They're to teach what is good. Look here in verse 4. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Now, we don't have time for this today. That is a sermon all unto itself. But I find it interesting that part of the job of older Christian women is to teach younger Christian women how to love. And you say, well, I already know how to love. Apparently, we don't. <laughs> Apparently, there is something that Paul knew that Scripture is telling us that we are missing about the love that we have for our children or our husbands that might not actually be a biblical type of love. Because there is natural love, which is more like lust, that we fall into. How many of you have ever heard of this? Well, I can't help it. I just fell in love. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You made a choice. Well, you, you can't help who you love. Yeah, you can. 100% you can. How many of you know that you can dig yourself out of something you fell into? I'm just saying, you don't necessarily, and what he's saying is there's a supernatural type of love that a Christian wife will have for her husband, that a Christian husband will have for his wife. And the older women, the older Christian women are to teach and train them. And he goes on to say this, also teach and train to be self-controlled, pure, working at home kind and submissive to their own husbands. I'm going to read that verse just again to see if we can actually get more quiet in here. Self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. I want to give you, uh, just for time's sake here, I want to give you three lies that we've bought into as it pertains to biblical womanhood. And by the way, they just happen to be my three points, so that works out really well. I'm going to give them to you right up front, and then we're going to unpack them. I would encourage you to not get up and leave when I give these points. Please give me an opportunity to biblically unpack them. Can you do that? Yes? yes. Okay. All the men said yes. I didn't hear one woman, but okay. <laughs> not going so well. Number one. Number one. First lie, we've bought into the lie that we should raise women as men. Lie number one. Lie number two, we bought into the lie that if our roles are not equal in our marriage, then our worth, our value, truly is diminished. Lie number three, we've bought into the lie that we can have it all. Let's open these up. Point number one, we bought into the lie that we should raise women as men. I, I, would even, I would even go a little bit further if you would allow me to. We're no longer raising women in our culture. Are you, are you aware of that? We are no longer raising women in our culture. We are raising men who happen to be biologically capable of having children. 100%. That's what we're raising. And only, by the way, if it doesn't interfere with our career. We have skewed the lines. One of the greatest people to ever live, her name is Elizabeth Elliot. One of the most wise women who has ever lived. If you don't know her, check her out. Listen to her story. She's amazing. She says this. this is a great quote. She says, the fact that you are a woman does not make you a different type of Christian. But the fact that you are a Christian does mean that you should be a different type of woman. How many of you know that we have embraced a culture that raises women to conduct themselves like men? We have embraced a culture 
that has, has encouraged women to, to conduct themselves like one of the boys, to draw undue attention to themselves, both in their conduct and their dress. By the way, different topic, different term, and different time, but as it pertains to modesty, pause. I don't care if you're 15, 20, 25, 40, 80. As it pertains to modesty, here's a question, ladies, that we should be asking ourselves as we prepare ourselves to leave our homes, to go out. Here is a question we should always be asking ourselves. Are you ready? To what aspect of my person am I trying to draw attention? We tend to, how should I say, accentuate certain aspects of ourselves. And it's truly because we believe that's where worth and value come from. I want you to know, ladies, your worth and your value is not found in your beauty. Your worth and your value is not found in your curves. Your worth and your value are much more elevated and enlightened than that. And when you dumb it down and play it out in the way that you dress, I want you to know you are not, you are, you are settling and you are not making for the best. To what aspect of my person am I drawing attention today, maybe even greater? Is it honoring to Christ? Scripture says, quiet, gentle. These are the things that change the world. Now, we now are several generations deep into women who have fully accepted society's message of where your worth actually comes from. There's a bunch of, uh, of messages. Here's a couple uh, ladies, how much money do you make? Ladies, how much education do you have? Ladies, what, what do your car, wardrobe, house, shoes, bags look like, and how much do they cost? Number four, what size are you? And number five, what position do you hold? These clearly are where our culture and society tell us our worth as women comes from. Notice that none of the things that Scripture lays out as facets of biblical womanhood are seen here. None of the characteristics of biblical womanhood are reflected in any of these top goals. Would you agree? Not even close. Like, like, it's not even like on the spectrum. Like, it's not even close. And I'm not even being extreme here. I'm just stating the obvious. Just peruse social media, magazines, talk shows, blogs, podcasts, and you will get an even greater, an even greater idea. And this is a problem because at one point we would have seen how contrary to God's word all these things were. But now, we just chalk it up to female empowerment. We just call it girl power. And we lap it up and we feed it to our children. Here's what we say. No one's going to tell me as a woman how I can talk. No one's going to tell me how I can dress. No man's going to tell me how I should be, what I can do, what I can't do. Because anything you can do, I can do better. And because of, listen now. Because of biblical illiteracy and not knowing the character of our God, this culture is thriving, growing, and celebrated even within the walls of our churches today. And the result of it is a broken marriage, dysfunctional family dynamics, and an imbalance in the order within the family that God so meticulously designed. And this morning, if you, as a woman, are sitting there listening to this and feeling your chest kind of rise up as I'm saying this, what I want you to know is this. I didn't write the mail. I'm just here to deliver it. I didn't write this mail. I'm just here to deliver it. The scripture says this, 1 Peter 3, wives, be subject to your own husbands, 
so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Like, don't take this to the extreme and think like, well, now I guess I don't have to get ready at all. Like, I don't have to braid my hair, don't have to put on make. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. That's not what, that's not what Scripture is saying. Peter's not saying that. He's saying don't settle for that as where your worth comes from. Your worth, your value is much greater than your looks, the braids in your hair, the clothing that you put on. But somehow, point number two, we have bought into the lie that if our roles are not equal, then our worth is diminished. This is a big one for us. To understand the meaning of womanhood, I will tell you this, ladies, we have to start with God. If he indeed is the creator of all things visible and invisible, and he is indeed in charge of all things visible and invisible. God is in charge of the details because God is in charge of the design, amen? And it is an illogical train of thought that insists women prove their ability to do all things that men can do. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Because by the way, ladies, no guy is out there trying to prove that he can do everything a lady can do. Like not even close. So then why would we subject women to purely masculine criteria? It doesn't make any sense. By the way, there are limitations in both roles, both masculine and feminine. And so what women can and ought to be judged on is biblical femininity, a biblical understanding of what a woman is. But understand, once again, biblical femininity has its limitations just like biblical masculinity does. This is what I'm talking about. To do this is not to do that. To be this is not to be that. To be a woman is not to be a man. To be married is not to be single. And understand, I get it, that comes with limitations. Marriage comes with limitations. You're like, well, what are you talking about? When you marry a person, when you marry a man, it means I'm married to this man, not all the men. At least that's what it should mean. I'm married to a man, not to men in general. That's a limiting factor. It means that you choose to marry him. And scripture clearly demonstrates that we as men and women, husbands and wives, are equal in value. Can I just say that again? Scripture clearly talks about the fact that we are equal in value. We are each created in the Imago Dei. We are each created in the image of God. We each hold the same worth, the same value in the eyes of God. However, like, is there really a however? Yes. However, Scripture also clearly delineates between the role of a husband and the role of a wife. They are each significant, but they are each significantly different. Neither one diminishes the other's value. However, listen to me now, ladies. When a wife fights for the role of the husband because she sees it as an issue of value or a slight against her worth, she is only proving the words of Genesis 3.16. Genesis, in the book of Genesis, I don't know how familiar you are with this passage, but Adam and Eve in the garden having a good time. God says, you can do anything you want to do, just don't eat of this tree. And they're like, that's too bad, we're going to eat of it anyway, and they do. And God says, you have brought sin into the world, and here are the consequences, and he lays them out to Adam. Adam. 
He says this and this and this, Adam, this and this and this. And then he comes to Eve in verse 16 of chapter 3, and he says this. To the woman God said, and he's, he's laying out the curse of now sin and what it has done to separate the relationship between God and man. He says, to the woman God said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And then he says this. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Can I just put this out there? We don't like this passage. Like at all. We're talking to some ladies about this, and they're like, okay, well, I want to become like a theologian really fast. Like, let's go back to the old Hebrew on that. I need to study the Hebrew lexicon. Like, what does that mean when it says rule over? Does that actually mean, what is this? Like? It's actually the word mashal, and it means to rule and reign. Like, well, hold on, we gotta really get, see, we don't like this passage. Let's just be honest and put it out there. We don't, I get it. But there is no way to dance around what God is saying here. Is there? God is telling Eve that because sin entered into the world, part of the struggle that wives will have is that they will yearn, they will long, they will fight and desire a position that is not theirs. A desire for equality and role. You want to get really quiet in the church on a Sunday morning, just say that. Let's just push a little farther. Let's see if we can push this a little farther. Because I'm going to say this as clearly but as biblically as possible. Are you listening to me? Wives, wives, you are not equal to your husbands in your positional role. Your positional role as under your husband does not mean you are less in worth. Can you please hear me on this? Your positional role is under your husband, which is clearly biblical, is, does not mean that you are less in, in, in worth, but it does mean that your role has different functions. Like any other role, there are limitations. By the way, I have limitations in my role as a man. By the way, I can't have kids. That's a limitation. My wife can, clearly. We have a house full of them. My wife can have kids. I cannot have kids. She is a woman. I'm a man. Now, I could get very irritated by this, be very frustrated and talk about how unfair this is, but the fact remains she can do something I can't do no matter how long I train or try. I will never get the superpower to grow humans. My wife has that. I do not. Here's the problem. Feminism has so... Oh, we're using adult words now. Feminism has so infiltrated the church that to say things like women are not equal to their husbands in positional role, makes even Christian women angry. Let's just be straight. It even makes us Christians angry, doesn't it? Ladies, we should go to God's word to check ourselves. The fact that this truth makes you stiffen up in your chair should be a red flag to you that it's our own rebellion coming up against to fight the spirit that is convicting us because we do live in a world that says, and here's my last point, that you can have it all. Titus says something very different. Look at what he says here in chapter 2. He says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Pause. Part of the reason I would say this to you, gentlemen, because some of you guys are like, yeah, yeah, get that, get that, you know? Come on, come on, I've been waiting for this, you know? Yeah, here's the problem. The reason why this exists is because we didn't follow verse 2. Men? 
Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. The reason why this issue exists, yes, it's primarily because of sin, but also as men, we have not done our job in loving our wives correctly. We have not been Jesus in our homes. We have been chauvinistic and disrespectful and dishonorable, passing off side jokes like a woman's place is in the kitchen. Passing off side jokes like, well, a woman's place is in the home. Submit to me, woman. These are not funny things to say. They're disrespectful to a role that is to be esteemed, to a role that is supposed to be honored. The role of biblical womanhood, the role of a mother, is a high and a holy calling, church. How dare you tip your nose at that? How dare you make jokes about that? Part of the reason that we are in the predicament we are now is because we as men have not done our job in our role as leading our church as Christ loves the family and leading our families as Christ loves the church. Okay? So don't get on this high horse and say, finally, she's getting hers. No. No. Verse 3 says this, though. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, being self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Here's my third and final point. Ladies, we've bought into the lie that we can have it all. We have bought into the lie, hook, line, and sinker, that we can have it all. We actually believe that we can be married, have kids, have a killer career, outsource the raising and teaching of our children, and still be biblically centered people. Listen to me this morning. That is a lie. That is a lie. You cannot have it all. Something is going to suffer, and mostly what suffers are our children and our marriages, and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you see this? Do you see this? Let me just ask you. Do we not see this in our churches? We're getting divorced at a higher rate than people outside of our church walls. Eight out of ten children who grow up in the church leave the faith when they turn 18. It takes two whole Christian families to get one Christian kid into the next generation. Our relationship with Jesus Christ has boiled down to us attending church one worship service, one time a month. We don't pray, we don't read, we don't fast, we don't meditate. Something is wrong. And I would say if the way that you have organized your life takes away, ladies, from the management of your home and children, it's not your home and children that need to change. It's your life. Let me just say that one more time. If the way you have organized your life takes away from the management of your home and children, it's not your home and children that need to change. It's your life. If you're too busy, if you really have too much to do, then there are some items on your agenda that God did not put there. You say, well, Travis, what do you mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's what I mean. Let's make it practical. If you are too busy to keep your house in order, if you are too busy to feed your children a good meal and sit around a table and have family dinner 
If you are too busy to tuck your kids in at night and read them a story and teach them scripture, if you are not there, if you are not present, there are some items on your agenda, ladies, that God did not put there. You cannot have it all. You cannot have it all. Scripture says that you cannot serve two masters. And when your obedience to the Lord through the serving of your home contradicts what you feel will bring you happiness and fulfillment. Let me say this again. Please listen in. Listen. I'm almost done. When your obedience to the Lord through the serving of your home contradicts what you feel will bring you happiness and fulfillment, ladies, you have to ask yourself this. Do I love Jesus? Do I truly love Jesus? Because the will of God is not something you add in like a last-minute dash of salt to flavor up the dish. No. The will of God is a course that you willingly choose to navigate your whole life down. Listen, what course are you on? What course are you on, ladies? You either align yourself with Christ, his word, and what he says, or you align yourself with the world. And understand... I get it, your natural desire, not only as a woman, but as a human, is gonna naturally want to align with the world because the world fulfills you now. It fills you now. But it's, it's so funny when I talk to people about sin and they act like sin's not fun. So who are you playing? Sin is extremely fun. You're like, what are you talking about? Sin is not fun. Okay. You're not doing it right then. I don't know what to tell you. It's wrong. But it fulfills you now. That's the problem with sin. It fulfills you now. As followers of Christ, though, we don't live for the here and now, do we? Come on, church. Do we? Hebrews 13, 14 says that we don't live for the here and now, but we rather, we seek the city that is to come. We, we invest into the things that are to come. I love, how first, I love how first John says it in chapter two, verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Can I just say this again? Listen. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life is not from the Father but it's from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God, what? Abides forever. In the end, ladies, your calling as a woman, as a wife, your calling as a mother, as I stated, is a high and holy calling, something that is never to be taken lightly and never to be looked down upon. You are an amazingly designed creature. You have amazing worth and value just on the basis that God created you and breathed his life into you. Every other person in this world, the media, social media, is going to tell you that you have to earn your value, that you must have to earn your worth, that you must have to lose weight to have that worth, or have this type of hair to have that value, or this career to have that value, or be at this age to have this... God says, I assigned you value before you were even born. You were born into this world with value, not because of anything you did, but because of the breath that God breathed into you. So ladies, you have incredible worth, 
an incredible value. Stop investing in things that have no return and significance as it pertains to eternal significance. Stop investing in things that have no eternal significance, things you can't take with you. You think about that? You really can't take anything with you. The thing that you might be able to take with you are your kids, maybe. If we disciple and train and love and lead and preach the gospel to them, there's a chance that we could take them with us. Other than that, you ain't taking nothing with you. Nothing. Your children are the only things that you potentially take with you. So listen to me. If your house is standing in between you and the discipling of your children, sell your house. If your car payment, that brand new car that you have to have because it looks so good when you drive it down the road and you look so good in it, if that brand new car is standing in between you and the time you spend with your family, get a different car. If your job is standing in between you and the biblical keeping of your home, then take a job that can only be owned by you. The job, the role that you were designed and created and given to fulfill the role of biblical womanhood. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. God, what your word teaches us is more important than how we feel. And on days like this, I'm so thankful for the gravity of scripture, the strength behind it. Truly what we are talking about today, I I understand, is so utterly countercultural that it even it even raises frustration may maybe in the best of us god you've called us to greater may you do a work here and now within us within our families realign us lord I pray that these words, your words, would resonate inside of our soul, draw us to repentance. I believe that we will need to have some very strong and honest, biblically-centered conversations this week about how we spend our time, finances, energy, our lives. Let us walk with grace. Let us lead with mercy and truth. And underneath of it, let it all be founded upon the love of Jesus Christ that he so willingly laid out for us on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.